Hello, I'm your host, Ray Dogum, and welcome to Vibecast. Thank you for joining us as we explore the exciting advancements in technology-enabled collaboration to excel important drug development. Vibebio seeks to find every cure for every community. Vibecast is our weekly informational podcast where we learn, imagine, question, and develop solutions together. Our guest today is Richard Austin, a visionary biotech entrepreneur and co-founder of Regulaging, spearheading the development of groundbreaking therapies for the treatment of brain diseases. We'll talk about his experience as both an entrepreneur and investor in biotech, as well as how he sees the current market landscape. Richard, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Ray, I am delighted to be here and I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. Could you please tell the community a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what brought you here today? Well, I'm a chemist by training, and so I, I am a nerd. I am technically speaking a nerd, and so I uh, have a PhD in chemistry. Um, I have spent a career in the pharmaceutical industry just crossed the 30-year mark. I worked for major pharmaceutical companies, household names you would have heard of, uh, all on the preclinical side. First of all, as what is known as a medicinal chemist, that's someone who designs the uh, new medicines, and also to uh, within that, I'm a small molecule guy, meaning that uh, uh, drugs that would normally be administered in pill form, that, that's what I uh, specialize in. And, um, uh, and I found about hmm, 2005 or so that uh, I really like the business of the, of the pharmaceutical world more than I like being in the lab. So I began self-study and uh, uh, trying to learn more about the business of the pharmaceutical industry. And that culminated actually in an MBA in, in pharmaceutical management from Drexel University, which was really pivotal to, to helping me transition from a lab role into an R&D operations management role. And so I, I was in that role for um, a pharmaceutical company called Sanofi. They, they formerly had a research site here in Tucson, about 60 scientists. And so I managed the business into the science. That led into Reglagene, the company I have now, because I had those technical experiences, those management experiences, had some other experiences as an angel investor and uh, working with the University of Arizona uh, with their tech transfer department. And so it really just all kind of worked together to launch me in into this company. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, all that context as well. and. You know, what really motivated you to found Reglagene? Of course, you had this experience in operations, uh, preclinical medicine as well. And, uh, you know, you had that lab experience as a chemist, as well as the business understanding of how the pharmaceutical industry actually works. Um, mm -hmm. But like, what was your you know, core motivation to start the company? Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to sound pretty simple. It's really the joy of the entrepreneur. So I had become an angel investor in 2014 and had seen entrepreneurs making pitch after pitch after pitch and just the joy that they had and what they, they were doing in being controllers of, of their own future in as much as an entrepreneur who's raising money can actually be a controller of the uh, direction. But, but, but seeing that, that j just that raw joy that, that they had as they pitched to our investor group wasn't a joy that I had in Big Pharma. You know, because in big pharma, I felt like that what I was doing was important, but it also felt like, too, that if I was a day late with something or even if I went away for a month or three months, it wouldn't matter so much to the company. But for these entrepreneurs, what they do every day matters. And being able to wake up with that sense of uh, uh, sense of purpose 
was something that I was craving. And so whenever I had the chance to leave uh, Sanofi in 2016 and start th this business, I, I, I jumped at it because I wanted a shot, you know, and, and the thing is too, Ray, those entrepreneurs made it look so easy with mm. the way that they pitched that this, oh yeah, if those guys can do it, I can do it. It's harder than it looks, harder than it looks, but I tell you, this has been the best journey ever. I see. So you're, you're uh, giving some uh, extra credit now to entrepreneurs. You didn't realize how difficult the challenge was. That's exactly and, right. And that makes sense. I think having that sense of urgency in whatever you're doing, whether it's biotech or, you know, in the food industry or, you know, any supply chain industry. So Richard, would you mind describing some of the brain chemistry problems Reglagene is trying to solve in brain cancer treatment? The number one issue in developing new therapies for the treatment of brain diseases is really just getting the therapy into the brain. We've struggled with that for years. And um, uh, if you just think about brain cancers, you know, the problem that uh, exists for those patients is, you know, standard of care therapies for the vast majority of them, just, they, they just haven't moved in years. And, and the biggest issue here is getting treatments, effective treatments into the brain. Uh, the reason for that, of course, is that we all have this thing called a blood-brain barrier that prevents toxins from going into our brains, but it, it also blocks the entry of what might otherwise be effective therapies. Now, of course, there are some drugs out there that do penetrate the brain and do have their biological effect, but for a lot of brain diseases, there's a lot of unmet need there. Uh, what we do well as a company is that we are able to design therapies, the actual active molecule. Uh, such that it does achieve outstanding brain penetration. And so that's, that, that, that's our bag. Um, uh, hmm. We've chosen to go after brain cancers first uh, because that unmet need is high, and that, that seems to help us as a company. I mean, if we, we were going after a problem that's already been solved, you know, we would not have much of a, a future as a company. But uh, we're going after brain cancers because there is a lot of need. Yeah, that's fair. Would you mind sort of uh, painting the market landscape or what, what does a brain cancer uh, population look like in the world, United States? Like how, how many patients get brain cancer annually? Do you have some of those numbers you could share? With yeah, us? yeah. We, we can talk, talk about those numbers. Um, for uh, the deadliest brain cancer is one called glioblastoma. It's a primary brain tumor. It's one that starts in the brain. And um, uh, patients that are diagnosed with a glioblastoma, they, they tend to live about one year after that diagnosis. There's about 14,000 of these patients diagnosed in the U.S. each year, which doesn't sound like a big number, but, you know, we, we touch glioblastoma a lot. So, for example, the late Senators John McCain and Ted Kennedy died from glioblastoma. President Biden's son, Beau, died from glioblastoma. And if you talk to enough people in your circle, Ray, you'll find tons of people who have been touched by this uh, disease. Uh, on the other side, you have brain metastases coming from breast and lung cancer. These are the two cancers that most commonly metastasize into the brain, those two as well as melanoma. Uh, just considering breast and lung cancers alone in the U.S., there are about 200,000 of these uh, brain cancer metastasis diagnoses each year. And again, those patients will live a little more than a year after that di diagnosis. Um, there are some effective therapies for those breast and lung cancer patients, but they have to present, their, their cancer has to present with specific genetic mutations for those therapies to be able to work. 
And what we're doing differently at Regnogene is bringing forward a therapy that has a broader application uh, across those patient populations. Yeah, wow. It sounds like, you know, the prognosis for uh, brain cancer, you know, obviously is really not that good. About a year after you're diagnosed, you're expected to, uh, to die, which is really a sad, tragic situation. So mm-hmm. if there are treatments that can help, that would be really helpful. What mm-hmm. techniques can improve the efficacy of brain cancer treatment technology? So you talked about, um, you know, going into the, going through the blood brain barrier. Um, can mm-hmm. you expand on that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so as we said, the blood brain barrier is just simply a filter. It's a natural filter that we all have to keep things out of the brain that the body thinks are not supposed to be there. Um, uh, a lot of research that is going on, even at the clinical level is on simply disrupting that barrier. And so there are drugs in, uh, preclinical models that have been shown that they should be effective for the treatment of brain cancers. And so, uh, to get those drugs in, into the brain that might not otherwise be brain penetrant, there are new technologies coming along to, to at least temporarily dis, uh, disrupt that blood brain barrier and let that uh, drug come through um, into the brain. Of course, the thing you have to worry about there is additional toxicity because if you're letting that drug through, what else are you letting through? So that that could be a point. potential problem here. There are also a lot of uh, uh, direct administration strategies that are being lo- looked at as well. How can you directly administer a drug to the brain or um, um, or into this or into the cerebral spinal fluid? You know, so that it can find its way. Um, uh, into the brain, it, administer the drug itself behind the blood-brain barrier. So there's a lot of uh, technologies being studied, and and technologies in the clinic that do, do that. And 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 there are te- technologies on the market for uh, direct delivery into the brain. Um, one of the complications with that approach, however, is on the surface of the blood-brain barrier are these things called efflux pumps. And even if something makes it into the brain, you have these efflux pumps that are looking for things that don't belong so they can pump them right, right back out again. So uh, uh, once you get a molecule or, or a therapy into the brain, it, need, it need, needs to stay there. Um, a lot of good work is going on with devices as well. You know, So there are uh, uh, devices that may focus radiation therapy for brain cancers because for the vast majority of brain cancer patients, their treatment starts with, 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 with radiation therapy. So that's out there. Um, yeah, but there's, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on in this field. Again, high unmet need. So there's just a lot of effort here. I appreciate that. And one thing that I noticed about Reglagene is they're working on a tubulin therapy. Would you mind Correct. describing what tubulin therapy means and what are some of the pros and cons to doing that? Okay. All right. So a tubulin therapy. So tubulin is a protein that is in every cell in our bodies. And, and it's, it's primary function, the, the, you know, the function that most of us who are scientists are familiar with is it forms that cytoskeleton whenever a cell undergoes division. So if you've seen that classic photo of cell division, you know, with the, with the two lobes uh, uh, that have formed, that's really, the, that's really tubulin, the protein that has polymerized, that really drives that uh, uh, shape of, of, of the cell as it divides. And so what makes tubulin such a great target for cancer, of course, is that 
rapid cell proliferation, rapid cell division is the hallmark of cancer. So if you have a way to stop that um, uh, and have those can cancer cells die, you have a way of targeting rapidly replicating cells. Um, so some of the most successful drugs in the treatment of cancer are tubulin targeting therapies. There's actually seven of these that have been approved by the FDA. Uh, most famous of these is a drug called paclitaxel. And uh, for breast cancer especially, there are durable remissions that have occurred, that, that have occurred with, with this drug. I mean, re, re, remissions in these patients that have lasted 10 years or more. This is a very effective therapy. The problem is those, those seven FDA-approved drugs that target the tubulin protein do not effectively either go into the brain or just don't stay there. And, and you know, they get pumped right, right back out. Um, and so that's the problem that we wanted to solve as company was to bring a drug molecule that had outstanding brain penetration and still target that tubulin protein. Now you talked about what are the, uh, so I, 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 so I guess I've touched on the pros. Let's talk a bit about the cons. Sure. Okay. As I talked about the tubulin protein is in every cell in your body. And so we really want to focus on killing cancer cells and, and not every cell in your body. So uh, uh, therapies that target the tubulin pro protein are ones that target, again, rapidly dividing cells. You do have other rapidly dividing cells in, in, um, in, in your body, notably for an orally administered therapy like what we have. You have, these, you have these cells called crypt cells that line your gastrointestinal tract. And those cells are turned over like once every two or three days. So they're sitting there rapidly replicating. So if you put a tubulin tar targeting therapy into the GI tract and it's there for a, uh, an extended period of time, you're going to burn up the GI tract. That's, mm -hmm. basically, that's basically what's going to happen. So one of the features that we have of our drug molecule is um, uh, what's known as the pharmacokinetic study, which, which helps us to... Uh, understand the kinetics of how the drug moves, moves, moves through the body. We know that our therapy is just rapidly absorbed. As soon as we can dose an animal and pull that first blood, blood, that first blood sample, we've reached that maximum con concentration. It looks almost like the uh, curve one would get if you were to give the drug by IV. It just gets on board rapidly. Right. So that exposure in the GI tract is minimal. Uh, and, and so we have a measure of safety that other approaches to oral administration of a tubulin tar targeting therapy just don't have. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. So it's funny because I actually, uh, for a period of time, I worked with crypt cells and oh. stem cells in the lab. And we actually extracted uh, cells from uh, intestinal crypts from mice uh, in uh -huh. the lab. So um, instead of tubulin, we often actually used actin as our control protein to determine like, you know, amount of cells or keep keep our experiments uh, in a control. So I, I have a couple of questions. One is, and this might be, you know, a silly question, but are there any treatments targeting actin? Because actin is also another protein, I believe that uh, helps to build the cytoskeleton of the cell. Yeah, I'm not aware of, act, of actin targeting therapies. I, I, that, that would be something I would, ha I would have to look, look into, but that is not on my radar. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it might, again, be a silly question. Um, oh, I don't know. Well, there's, there's no silly <laughs> questions here, Ray. Right, right. I appreciate that. Um, so that's really, you know, quite fascinating that you've been able to do that. Uh, is there, and you talked about some of the 
cons as well, I guess. Are there any mm -hmm. other sort of characteristics of this therapy that you find important that you'd want to share? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about the other cons we need to look for. So, the tubulin targeting therapies. One of the great things about going for, um, you know, really trying to take a an approach using a way of working that's been used for years is you know what toxicities you need to look for. So, the tubulin targeting therapies, um, uh, common toxicities that they have include peripheral neuropathy, pain in the extremities. Um, um, as well as, um, uh, losing here, I believe it's my, I believe it's myelosuppression. Um, and so what we're able to do, what, what we've done is we found that not all tubulin targeting therapies are the same in terms of their toxicity profile. And so we've been able to, 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 to generate a, um, a measure of understanding of what the properties are of a molecule to limit those, uh, uh, to limit those uh, toxicities. And we believe we have a handle on that. And so consequently, the therapy that we're bringing forward in the animal models of efficacy that we've, we've tested, um, we've actually, we've actually been, been able to dose well below the toxicity limit in, in those animals and see an efficacious, re, re, see an efficacious response. So knowing what to look for helps you understand how to avoid it. That's fair. I appreciate that. So you mentioned yeah. uh, you've done studies on animals. Um, do you know when you're going to expect to start dosing patients? Uh, we will be clinic ready late 2024. So we just began what is known as our, our investigational new drug uh, enabling studies. And so to have the FDA sign off on a human clinical trial, you have to file what is known as an investigational new drug application. And in that application, you basically convince the FDA of two things. One, when you dose patients, you're not going to kill them. And two, that you can manufacture the product reliably. And so that's the name of the game for us right now. So we're doing uh, today what are known as our uh, two species toxicology studies. For us, um, uh, those, those species are dog and rat. Those are the two most common that that are used and we started those studies and things are things are going along not nicely for us at the same time we are um, uh, uh, working with uh, uh, a company to uh, to define the manufacturing process and the whole idea is about a year from now we'd like to be able to file that investigational new drug application and uh, wait the 30 days for the fda hopefully not to respond that's how you know you did it right is when the FDA does not respond and uh, will be clear to start those human clinical studies. Interesting. Yeah. Filing your IND enabling um, application is really important and, you know, what we call an inflection point at BioBio. So it's very important to sort of be able to get that right. And after that point, if successful and if the FDA, like you said, doesn't um, hit you back up asking questions or saying, no, that we don't allow this. If you succeed in all that, um, the, ideally, or you know, theoretically, the value of your company also goes up. This is oh, absolutely like how biotech the, I, works. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. The the uh, private investors, the public markets, even uh, place a high value on cancer companies that do have an accepted IND. What correct. is Regulagene's current stage of funding? Switching current stage of funding. Point. So um, we are. 
raising, we're finishing the raise of a Series A round. Uh, as you might imagine, I'm sure as a as your listeners know, this is a weird market, right? Right now, um, we are uh, we do very well with a- angel investors, and so we are still in in angel investor land. And these have been people that have been so important to our company. Um, uh, with the markets being like they are, it's making it difficult for us to transition into the venture capital world. And that's because it seems like a trickle down effect. The fewer IPOs there are, and Ray, I'm sure you know that 2020 and 2021, there was an IPO frenzy in the biotech uh, and and the biotech marketplace. And that slowed way, way down. And with those exits slowing down, it really has slowed the flow of venture capital dollars um, and those venture capital dollars are largely available through the portfolio. The, the, the money that is available is, is available through the existing portfolio companies. So a scrappy company like Reglagene, we're still wanting to move our pro programs along. And so, uh, as I said, we tend to do very well with angel investors. And so we're, 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 uh, we're in that world. We're raising, we're move, moving things forward, still, still running things on a shoestring, like, like, like a startup company. But um, really waiting for that day when the venture capital markets open back up. And just, you know, I looked just the other day, I saw there'd been six biotech IPOs in about the last two months. And so, you know, and you're starting to see some articles where people are speculating and starting to open back up. But as always, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, you know. Yeah, it's sort of unpretentable this market right now. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I hope obviously that more funding is available for researchers like you and and, uh, different startups that are trying to solve these hard problems. So um, it's just a matter of time and being in the right place at the right time as well. Exactly. Most cases. Well Um, done. Can you, can you just quickly also share how much you've raised so far and maybe from whom as well? Ooh, uh, ooh, I don't know if my lawyer would like that. Um, Or just high high level, whatever. Yeah. Let's, let's, let, skip this question. let me do it uh, in more general terms. So, um, so Ray, you asked the question, how much we have raised, and so we've we've gotten to where where we are. I'll just call it single digit millions of uh, dollars. That's our our dilutive funding that we've received from investors, um, as well as our grant funding. And so we've run a very tight ship here in terms of uh, in terms of how in in terms of how we operated. Um, one of the things we have at our advantage that's enabled that is we're a Tucson, Arizona company. And so you don't think so much about Tucson as a hotbed of biotech. Uh, but uh, what we're able to do here, I, you know, I, someone may have said at first, but I like to believe that we're in an age of the, of the democratization of drug discovery and development. Companies that. like mine, we do it like everybody else does. It doesn't matter where they are. We execute on our core science in-house, and I can find the talent and the labs and the equipment to do all that cost-effectively right here in Tucson. That does exist. And then for those other drug drug discovery and development services, we outsource it. And so we've built a global network of of service providers that we work with. And uh, yeah, and so for just a few million dollars on, on, on the way to this drug molecule we have now, we designed, manufactured, and tested over 900 prototypes. And so we were able to deploy capital quite effectively to build those prototype drugs, test them out, and um, land on what we have now, which we, which we believe is a great therapy. Yeah, and I'm sure that all your experience also helped with you know, selecting the right 
outsource uh, CROs. So I think that's because uh, it's sometimes difficult to find the right organizations to work. You're with exactly right. Them, right. You're exactly right about that, Ray. And I'm sorry that I that I jumped jumped on top of you there, but uh, no, not at all. You know, but but the experience in big pharma uh, and having worked with these other CROs, you know, who's who on the way in. And then also, too, uh, there's there's the talent, you know, and so a lot of our talent comes from people that I've worked with in the past, not not only our employees, but our consultants as well. And so these are people that I've just encountered along my career who have been been successful and, uh, uh, you know, didn't burn any bridges with them. And so they're willing to come. They're willing to come in and help us often at uh, um, really attractive rates. And so maybe my consultants don't want me to say that out loud, but uh, <laughs> uh, but they do that for us because, you know, we have these years long friend friendships and, you know, and, and 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 then too the cause we're doing here is just. It's just outstanding. You know, we're trying to go into a space that really needs the help. And we look like we have something that could actually make, make a difference. Absolutely. And especially in this industry where you need to be able to trust the people you work with in terms of, you know, trusting that they understand the science and have a good foundational um, perspective of, you know, what the company is trying to do with the molecules, what the technology is trying to do and, you know, have that experience, you know, yeah. preclinical, clinical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 back to that trust, you know, I I had never really thought about it like like that too. But you know, as a as an early stage company like ours, the the landscape is shifting. You know, I mean, you know, how you know, whereas at say for example, one of the major pharmaceutical com- major pharmaceutical companies I worked for, you would know what your budget would be for the next year. You you could rely on the budget for the year after that. You know, at times we're saying okay. I can't quite see where that next check is coming from, that next investment check. Can you slow down just a little on this? Or, oh, well, this investor over here is in for for this much. Put your foot on the gas on on, uh, that program. And so um, uh, the team has to trust. We have to trust. We have to trust each other. I trust my team that they're giving me the straight story about what's going on with our product development and they have to tr- trust me whenever I say, you know, go stop, do something a little bit different, et cetera. And so there's, the, so there is a lot of trust here. You're exactly right. Yeah. And you're like making these, you know, decisions in real time. Nothing is hundred percent certain. So there's a lot of like, yeah, exactly right. Cause that's, a, that's another thing here too, is just that idea that decisions have to be made without a full de- deck of data and there are mistakes made. Uh, there's things you wish you would have done differently. My goodness, Ray, it'd be a whole other podcast for me to talk, talk about my errors here, you know? So, uh, for but, sure. but, but, um, but, 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 you know, but that's the world of a small company. Yeah. And like, you know, that's a good segue into my next question. Um, having actually raised, uh, money for your company and, you know, mm-hmm. going through this process, what are some red flags that founders should be cautious about when considering striking a deal with investors, taking investor money? Red flags one should think about. Okay, or red flags that pop up. It could be like maybe, you know, just a simple one. They seem to be asking for too much equity or something or any clauses that might be uh, an issue for a startup biotech company. Yeah, for yeah. For a young founder who might not be aware of all the intricacies. There's like milestone payments. There's a lot okay. of different angles on this i'm just curious i'll 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 I'll, 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 yeah i'll just go go with one here all right so ray the kind of red red flags probably the most important red flag for for me personally 
is I truly believe in the concept that people invest in people. And so you have to feel like you have a connection with that investor because quite frankly, that investor is your boss. That's who you'll work for. Uh, your board members are going to be likely chosen from that group of investors. And so you really want to, you know, you really want to connect with the people who invest in your company. Um, if you get a call, if you get on a call with someone and you frankly just don't like them, calls over, you know, just, just get off, go find somebody else because it is just simply not worth the trouble to work with people that, that, that you don't personally gel with. And so that's probably the biggest red flag. Um, negotiating terms, negotiating, you know, and the two big things that you do here, of course, are, are, um, are economics and, and control or the, are, are the two big factors you negotiate. We've done pretty well there. Um, you know, and so it's, it's been, you know, so we, we haven't had investors that have, you know, asked for too much like extra board seats or, I mean, we've had, we, we've had some investors that have asked for uh, board observer seats for example, when they're not writing that big of a check. And so I've had to say no there. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, but, but we've not really had trouble coming to an agreement on terms with our deal leads. It's really just boiled down to, can we sell that deal to other investors as well? You know, so that, that's, that's been the only thing here, but anyway, like who you're working with, that's, you know, employees, yep. consultants, investors, you, you, you gotta like them. And, and two, right. It's just, again, this is the best ride ever, you know, and what makes it the best ride ever is getting to work with people that you like and people that are mission driven where this is more than just a job. That goes across all sectors of every industry. I think like being yeah. able to enjoy your team and gel with them really makes a world of a difference for your day-to-day right, -day life right. and, and makes it worthwhile and feeling like you have a purpose. Right. So exactly. I'm with you there. 100%. Uh, kind of like my last question, I'm just wondering, like, what's the company culture like at Regulagene? I know you mentioned kind of dispersed, a lot of outsourced uh, work being done, but can you uh, dive into the company culture? Yeah, I the company culture we have here is we, we really try to create an environment where the best ideas win. I mean, it sounds like a cliche. I mean, everybody says that, I'm sure. Uh, but that that's really the way we try, we, we try and work. I'm abundantly clear with my team and with people outside of our company that we are not a lone genius company. Uh, we're not here because I'm a great scientist or anything like that. Ray, I left medicinal chemistry because I wasn't that good at it. You know, So I have to have other people that are good at what they do. And what's made us strong is the ability to empower people to make decisions, to interpret data, make decisions, swim upstream. You know, uh, my team, uh, you know, where I'm making decisions for, 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 for the business and I have a perspective, they've moved me off my, off, off my, off my, my positions with, with reason or arguments. And that's the kind of team that I want to have is one that, um, is not afraid to disagree, uh, especially with me where we can have rational con conversations where, uh, each one of us can be moved off our positions with the right argument. Also understanding too, that if you come up with an idea and you try it and it fails, that's par for the course. I mean, you know, ideas that are worth doing a lot of times they don't work. And, and so not being punitive, you know, when, you know, when employees have, have, have ideas or consultants 
have ideas and they don't work. I mean, you know, because the thing is, you want, you know, that next one might, and it might be something that really moves the company. And so you don't want to discourage that. But it's this idea that, that people are empowered um, uh, to do their jobs, to even look beyond their jobs and uh, 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 speak up in, in this company. So we've got a really good culture there. Yeah, no, I love that. Best ideas should win out. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, make sure you check your ego at the door when you, you walk yeah. in here. It's, it's more about um, making sure the best information wins and not just the loudest speaker. So yeah, do that. yeah. And, 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 and Ray, too, checking the ego at the door, I mean, that's just a really great point, point you make there because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know this world. I mean, you have, you have some meetings with, out, with outside parties, inside parties, where you just get punched in the mouth, you know, and, um, and you know, you get back up and, and you go and, you, you know, um, it's just, this is just the, na- this is the nature of the beast and it's a joy you know it's a joy i i i I hate to say it's a joy to get knocked down that that's not you know but i can tell you what you learn about yourself and that ability to get get back up again and i i'm sure you've experienced this yourself is just you know part of what drives this is just you you develop that confidence that you can face anything and so it's just an awesome life yeah no i totally and like you know being a entrepreneur you have to be resilient right you have to have thick skin so I appreciate what you're doing. And I think, you know, it's great that there are uh, people like you pushing and persevering through the the biotech journey, biotech, you know, startup journey. Um, and I just wish, wish you, and I would just like to wish you luck on your series A round of you know Thank raising you. that. And is there anything else you want to leave the audience with today before we conclude? Well, give me just one moment here, Ray. Um, remind me, your your audience, audience is mo- mostly investors or investors or, and startup founders. Gotcha. And, yeah, and then also patients who are interested in learning more about the biotech experience. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, Ray, there is something I, that I would like to leave with your listeners, especially those on, on, those entrepreneurs out there, is just stay in the fight, stay in the game. What you're doing is worthwhile. You're trying to change the world, and it's not easy. If, if it were easy to change the world, it would have already been been done. But just stay in the game. Excellent. I'm sure many listening today are happy to hear that and motivated by what you said. So, again, Richard, thank you so much for your time. And for those listening, please subscribe, like, share this. Uh, this way more people can learn about uh, what's going on in this biotech space and learn more about Richard as well as Reglagene. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Ray.